Collaboration and cooperation is essential to making greater progress on sustainability within organisations and supply chains, across sectors and across society globally. This is recognised by the UN Sustainable Development Goals and collaboration is one of the five dimensions identified by the Inner Development Goals as essential to achieving the SDGs. That's why the fifth call to action in our Sustainability Leadership Manifesto for 2024 is seek out opportunities to collaborate and cooperate. Identifying the need is one thing, doing something about it is another. Here's Alan Hendry, Sustainability Director at Mott MacDonald, talking about the challenges of delivering sustainable and net zero infrastructure in Scotland. So there is a huge frustration that we can't seem to get our hands around the good stuff. In the last year or so, there's ICE report we did, the Committee on Climate Change did a report, ECCI did a report, the Net Zero Committee of Scottish Parliament did a report, and key themes are we need better collaboration. The need, even the hunger, for more and better collaboration also came up a lot in our recent roundtable, where we discussed the Sustainability Leadership Manifesto. So all of that is to explain why we've decided to make collaboration the focus of this episode, and also of our next roundtable on the 7th of March. This is Leadership for Sustainability, the podcast for sustainability directors, managers and pioneers who want their organisation to make greater progress on sustainability. It is so good to have you with us. I'm Osbert Lancaster, long-time sustainability consultant, facilitator and director of sustainability leadership specialists Realize Earth, where we focus on the people side of sustainability. To prepare for this episode, I sat down with Moreg and Rich, my Realize Earth co-founders, to discuss how we could draw on our collective experience to offer you some really useful guidance on collaboration. Here's what we came up with. First, I'll talk about what we mean by collaboration in the context of sustainability leadership. Then I'll get into the skills required for successful collaboration and the characteristics of effective teams. And then we'll explore the nitty-gritty of collaborating better, ending with specific actions you can start taking tomorrow, whatever your current experience of collaboration. According to the dictionary, collaboration simply means the act or process of working together or cooperating. So it covers a wide range of activities and situations. In terms of collaboration and sustainability leadership, a two-by-two matrix is useful to think about the context for collaboration, with one access being informal or formal collaboration and the other being internal or external to the organisation. So in the informal internal box, we have day-to-day -day working with your colleagues and working with your sustainability allies within the organisation. Informal external would include things like working with peers in your sector and people in the supply chain to make progress on sustainability. Of course, informal collaboration often leads to formal collaboration. So, formal collaboration internal would be things like an internal initiative or programme involving a number of different departments or across the organisation. And formal external would be things like initiatives or programmes with organisations in the sector or in your supply chain. My thinking about collaboration has been very influenced by psychologist and creativity expert Keith Sawyer's book, Group Genius, The Creative Power of Collaboration. His message is that working collaboratively isn't just a way to get stuff done that's more efficient and effective than working alone. He also demonstrates how collaboration is absolutely essential to innovation. In his view, 
which I subscribe to, collaboration isn't really about plans and procedures, although they can be really helpful. Instead, collaboration is essentially a creative process. Sawyer highlights two kinds of collaboration. Problem-finding collaboration and problem-solving collaboration. For sustainability leaders, problem-finding collaboration would include bringing people together to explore how the organisation impacts and is impacted by climate change or the various sustainable development goals. The question, the inquiry, is what really is the problem here? Problem-solving, on the other hand, would include working together to develop a strategy in response to those problems and opportunities that have been identified. The question, the inquiry, is how do we solve this problem? There's a third type of collaboration that Sonia doesn't mention. We call this solution delivery. In this example, that would be working together to actually implement the sustainability strategy or initiative to bring about the real change you want to see. The question or inquiry here is, how will we deliver this solution? And this is an ongoing inquiry as you deliver the initiative, adapting and evolving over time. Each of these three types of collaboration will have their nuances, but in terms of the skills and approaches needed, they have a great deal in common. We've talked before about the inner development goals, but in case you're not familiar with them, the IDGs set out the skills and qualities that are considered essential for delivering the sustainable development goals. The Inner Development Goals framework has been developed by over a thousand researchers, experts and practitioners in leadership development and sustainability, including names you might recognise like Peter Senge, Otto Sharma and René Lertzman. The IDGs are supported by companies such as Google, Spotify, IKEA, shipping company Stainer and renewables developer OX2. Collaboration is one of the five dimensions of the IDG framework because, and I quote, to make progress on shared concerns, we need to develop our abilities to include, hold space and communicate with stakeholders with different values, skills and competencies. End quote. The IDG framework identifies five skills and qualities that are needed for effective collaboration. One, communication skills, ability to really listen to others, to foster genuine dialogue, to advocate one's own views skillfully, to manage conflicts constructively, and to adapt communication to diverse groups. Two, co-creation skills, skills and motivation to build, develop, and facilitate collaborative relationships with diverse stakeholders, characterised by psychological safety and genuine co-creation. Three, inclusive mindset and intercultural competence, willingness and competence to embrace diversity and include people and collectives with different views and backgrounds. Four, ability to show trust and to create and maintain trusting relationships. Five, mobilization skills, skills in inspiring and mobilizing others to engage in shared purposes. It's important to note, these skills aren't intrinsically positive. They can be used for both good and evil. For successful collaboration towards sustainability, these skills need to be underpinned by other skills and qualities, like empathy, compassion, and a sense of service. Collaboration needs to be guided by a moral inner compass. So those are the skills needed for collaboration. This list of skills can seem a bit overwhelming, 
and imply that we need endless study to collaborate successfully. Study and intentional practice are definitely useful, but there are a number of simple steps we can take to make a real difference in the quality and effectiveness of our collaborations. I'll come to those steps shortly, but they'll make a lot more sense once we understand more about the process of collaboration. Earlier, I mentioned Keith Sawyer's book, Group Genius, The Power of Collaboration. In it, he describes the seven characteristics of effective creative teams. I think his insights are really helpful because, by definition, collaboration is a team or group process. And don't be put off by the term creative. He's using it in the sense of innovation, and collaborating for innovation and new creative ways of doing things is exactly what we need as sustainability leaders. Although Sawyer talks about seven characteristics, they're really the attitudes that the team shares, their awareness of how innovation really happens. Let's dive in. Number one, innovation emerges over time. New solutions and new ways of doing things aren't just invented in a vacuum. They're the result of a long series of incremental ideas, and this takes time. And from our point of view as sustainability leaders, starting to build more effective collaborations, it takes time to build the necessary levels of trust between everyone involved. Two, successful collaborative teams practice deep listening. I often think that deep listening is the fundamental skill for sustainability leaders. Get this right and so much else will flow from it. As Sawyer puts it, most people spend too much time planning their own actions and not enough time listening and observing others. Three, team members build on their collaborators' ideas. This is why deep listening is so crucial for effective collaboration. New and better ideas and solutions are the result of building on other people's ideas, and we can only do that if we're actually listening to the other people we're working with. And this also means creating a space where everyone involved in the collaboration feels able to contribute fully. Regardless of their position in the hierarchy, they need to feel confident, not just to put forward their ideas, but also to question other people's assumptions. Four, only afterwards does the meaning of each idea become clear. What Sawyer means here is that when the team is exploring ideas, it's often not obvious which ideas will turn out to be useful. Very often someone will come up with an idea, but it's only when another member of the team combines it with a different idea that it makes sense or is useful. Five, surprising questions emerge. This might seem a bit of a weird statement, but remember, Sawyer is talking about how we think about collaboration and innovation. What he means is that the process of collaborative innovation may take us to places we simply weren't expecting. He says, The most transformative creativity results when a group either thinks of a new way to frame a problem or finds a new problem that no one had noticed before. And, The most creative groups are good at finding new problems rather than simply solving old ones. Six, innovation is inefficient. This can be a difficult pill for some managers to swallow. In cultures obsessed with efficiency, spending time on coming up with some ideas that don't yield obvious results is an anathema. But the reality is that innovation, 
whether you're developing a sustainability initiative or designing low-carbon infrastructure, isn't a series of simple steps that can be known in advance. As Sayers explains, some ideas are just bad ideas. Some of them are good in themselves, but the other ideas that will be necessary to turn them into an innovation just haven't happened yet. And the key to success is the ability to improvise a new path, one that wasn't in the plan, one that, honestly, couldn't have been known when you first started. 7. Innovation emerges from the bottom up. Here's another aspect of innovation and effective collaboration that can be a challenge to the culture of many organisations. You can create the conditions for collaboration, you can foster and encourage collaboration, but you can't control it. And collaboration will only achieve its potential if everyone involved feels able to participate fully. This is obvious if we think back to some of the other characteristics of effective collaborative teams that I've just listed. Team members build on each other's ideas. Only afterwards does the meaning of each idea become clear. And surprising questions emerge. These kinds of results will only happen if everyone, whatever their position in the hierarchy, feels safe putting forward their ideas and everyone's ideas are genuinely listened to by others. Sawyer's adds, allowing space for this self-organising emergence to occur is difficult for many managers because the outcome isn't controlled by the management team's agenda and is therefore less predictable. Most business executives like to start with the big picture and then work out the details. So, we've looked at the skills for collaboration from the inner development goals, and we've looked at the approach and the ways of thinking that lead to successful collaborations with the help of Sawyer's book, Group Genius. It's a lot to take in. As well as needing to make sense of it all, We've just finished with Sawyer's saying the conditions for effective collaboration are fundamentally at odds with the management style and dominant culture of many organisations. So how do we actually go about collaborating better in what are often less than ideal conditions? When Moreg and Rich and I were developing this episode, everything up to this point was pretty straightforward. It was at this point it got tricky as we tried to combine theory with our experience and distill it all down to clear, practical steps to help you lead and shape collaborations so they deliver real results for your organisation and the wider sustainability agenda. As we were working out those practical steps that we wanted to share with you, we realised there are three attitudes and assumptions that we've found really helpful. Here they are. First, collaboration is simply working with other people towards a shared goal. It's easy to see collaboration as something different and outside our normal experience. Sure, collaboration might involve complicated processes and sophisticated project management tools, but at heart, despite all the bells and whistles, it's about working together, cooperating to achieve a shared goal. And this means we can start to consciously practice collaboration skills and so on in our day-to-day -day work with our team and our colleagues. We don't need to wait for a specific project to apply them. Working with other people is collaboration. Second, collaboration is a natural human skill. Humans are social animals. Working together with others is what we do. It's the secret to our evolutionary success. It comes naturally to us as humans, but all too often it's trained out of us at school and university, 
where the system is focused on individual results. And in the workplace, even though team working is often talked about, it's frequently held back by individual targets, competition, and distrust. When you look at the skills listed by the IDGs, it may seem like there's a whole lot of new stuff to learn. But another way of looking at it is that all we need to do is reclaim and consciously practice these natural human skills that have been suppressed by our culture. Third, most people want to be part of effective, worthwhile collaborations. Working well together with other people who you trust to achieve something worthwhile is a truly amazing experience. You've probably come across the idea of flow, developed by psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Flow is when your skill level and the challenge are equal, and you're completely absorbed in the moment. You're in the zone. Flow applies to groups as well as individuals, and the insight from group flow informs Sawyer's book Group Genius. In fact, Sawyer studied with Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I've often experienced group flow, but many people find it hard to believe it's possible because their experience of working in teams and groups has been one of clashing egos, frustration and confusion. But despite this, most people are hungry to be part of a group where people respect each other, support each other and work well to achieve something that's worthwhile. As sustainability leaders, we have a rare opportunity to work on stuff that genuinely makes a difference in the world. If we can also create the conditions where people work well together, we're offering something that's really attractive something that people will want to be part of. If, working on sustainability, you and your collaborators can create group flow, you'll have something amazing. In our experience, these three assumptions and attitudes make collaboration much less daunting than seeing collaboration as something technical and complicated. I'd like to take a moment just now to let you know about our next event. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that most people are concerned about climate change and would like to make more sustainable choices in their lives. Despite this open door, most business sustainability initiatives fail to engage staff, and as a result, they miss their targets. The reason is that most initiatives don't pay enough attention to what genuinely motivates colleagues, nor do they recognise the barriers that hold back even the most highly motivated employees from taking action. On Wednesday the 22nd of May, join me and Jamie, the creator of the Most Sustainable Workplace Index, and learn how the index can help you tap into and unlock most employees' latent motivation to do the right thing for people and planet. You'll discover how the index can help you to gather hard evidence of what's working and what needs attention across locations and divisions and seniority levels. You'll identify the focus areas where the sustainability team, L&D, HR and so on, should allocate time and resources to make the most progress and you'll discover how you can demonstrate year-on-year -year progress with consistent and comparable data on sustainability culture. And you can use that for action planning, reporting, benchmarking and accreditation. Do join us on Wednesday the 22nd of May. You'll find the link in the show notes. Here they are again. First, collaboration simply means working together, cooperating to achieve a shared goal. So remember, we're already collaborating all the time. Second, collaboration is a fundamental human skill. So we're building on our natural instincts and abilities. Third, most people want to be part of effective, worthwhile collaborations. So we can invite them to join us.
If you keep these assumptions and attitudes front of mind, you can start to consciously develop your skills and experience of collaborating right away without waiting for a formal collaborative project. Collaboration isn't what you do for or to other people. It's what you and other people do together. And all the skills and so on that I talked about earlier will enable you to create the conditions where you and others can collaborate successfully. The best way to develop your ability to create these conditions is to make this part of how you work and who you are. So start with your team and other people you work with regularly. Use your position and influence to create the conditions where you can work together better. Essentially, this means modelling the attitudes and behaviours that are needed for effective collaboration. In practical terms, what might that look like? Here are three things to get you started. Listen deeply and check you understand. Enable people to disagree. Disrupt normal patterns and places of behaviour. Get these right and most of the rest will flow naturally. Let's get into each of these quickly. Listen deeply and check you understand. Listening deeply is so rare in our culture, it can seem like magic when it happens. But it's really as simple as going into a conversation to understand where the other person is coming from, instead of the default of trying to persuade them to do what you want or believe what you believe. And when they speak, shut up and give them your full attention. Don't think about what you're going to say next. Just listen. If you need to, ask open questions. And listen for what's not being said. Pay attention to body language as well. Of course, even if you think you have heard what someone said, it's easy to misinterpret what they mean or make incorrect assumptions about the implications. So check that you genuinely understand by using your own words to reflect back what you heard and asking if you got it right. It's not rocket science, but a few of us do it often enough. When you understand where someone is coming from, you're both in a better position to work out how you might work together more effectively. Enable people to disagree. Remember, successful collaboration relies on everyone involved being able to contribute their ideas, even if they challenge the status quo or seem opposed to what someone more senior or more outspoken has put forward. If we're confident doing this ourselves, it's easy to forget how difficult it can be for some people to say what they think, rather than what they believe other people want to hear. One way to encourage and support this is to start by inviting people to disagree on the small things that it's pretty easy for people to say no to. For example, ask if there's enough time in the agenda to discuss a particular topic. Over time, people will realise they can disagree without comeback, and that their ideas are listened to and taken seriously. They'll become more confident about saying what they genuinely think about more high-stakes issues. Disrupt normal patterns and places of behaviour. We know we need to do things differently to collaborate more effectively. We can evolve our normal ways of working by introducing new approaches like I've just described. But sometimes accepted practices are just so ingrained that it's an uphill struggle. People are comfortable with what they're familiar with, even if they acknowledge that it's suboptimal. And it can be easy to fall back into old ways. The way around this is to disrupt these normal patterns of behaviour more radically. For example, in meetings, instead of allowing anyone to respond or to ask questions, introduce speaking in rounds, where each person in turn shares their thoughts. This kind of approach 
brings a much richer diversity of voices and views to the discussion, not just the usual suspects or those with the loudest voices. And instead of chairing regular meetings yourselves, have a different member of the group facilitate each session in turn, or better yet, a different pair of co-facilitators for each meeting. Of course, training and confidence building will be important. Places matter too. If you're in a meeting room, it's difficult not to behave in the normal ways you're expected to behave in a meeting room. That's why off-site strategy days and so on, when well-designed and led, can be so successful. And they don't have to be in the usual hotel conference suites. We've had great success in unconventional venues like farms and rural Airbnbs, where not only can you do a lot of your meetings outside, you can hang out and cook together, breaking down boundaries. Being in physically and psychologically different spaces like these breaks the normal patterns of behaviour and makes it easier to create new ways of working together which are different and more effective. If you can do these things, listen deeply and check you understand, enable people to disagree and disrupt normal patterns and places of behaviour, you'll start creating a space where collaboration can flourish. There's one more thing that will make a real difference and help you make progress much more rapidly. That's approaching collaboration as an inquiry, deliberately applying the action learning cycle, both as a reflective tool for yourself and as a process that the group uses together. In the action learning cycle, you move through these four stages of taking action, putting your plan into practice, and then reflection. What happened? What worked? What didn't work? How do we feel? And then learning. What successes did we have? Why did we have success? Why didn't it go so well if that was the case? And then you plan again. What do we need to do now? How will we do that? What are our next steps? And you act again and through the cycle again, continually as you move through the project. Here are some additional questions specific to getting started with collaboration. Ask yourselves, what would successful collaboration look like? What are we already doing that's working well? And if things are working well, what do we need to do to keep these or have more of it? If anyone feels uncomfortable or unable to commit, what would make it easier for them to come on this journey with us? In all of this section, the context has been about collaborating more effectively with your team and other colleagues. What about when you're starting to work with a new group of people or entering a formal collaboration? What you can do will depend on the circumstances and the level of control and influence that you have. But everything I've talked about so far can apply. You may just need to adapt it slightly. The most important thing, as early as possible in any formal collaboration, is that you don't just take the default arrangements and assumptions for granted, and that you ask these questions of the people involved. What does success look like for this collaboration? How should we work together to maximise the chance of success? What shall we do right now to make sure that we work together in that way? I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by people's enthusiasm for consciously exploring how you can work well together. There's been a lot to take in, so in the show notes you'll find a link to a written version of this podcast, including copies of the questions and action points, and links to all the resources I've mentioned. If you want to improve the quality of collaboration in your organisation, don't try to do it alone. You'll have much more success if you actively involve your team or other allies. Share this episode with them and ask them, what do they think of it? Would it be useful to work together, to start working out how to collaborate more effectively? 
If they say yes, you're ready to go. If you want more practical insights, ideas and advice about working together better, make sure to listen to our next episode, which will be the edited highlights of our roundtable on collaboration. If you've found the podcast interesting and useful, you'll like our Leadership for Sustainability newsletter. It includes invitations to events, carefully curated resources and additional insights from me and my colleagues at Realize Earth, all to help you make greater progress on sustainability in your organisation. You'll find the link to subscribe in the show notes. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and this is Leadership for Sustainability from Realize Earth. Before you go, let me tell you something a bit weird. Last month, I joined a weekly class to study improvisational theatre, or improv as the cool cats call it. No particular reason, and I've got no real interest in drama. It just seemed interesting, and I felt drawn to it. I'm loving the class, but what I've found fascinating is how so many of the core improv skills and attitudes are exactly the same skills that are needed for effective sustainability leadership. And they include trust yourself, trust others, trust the ideas you and your collaborators come up with, listen deeply. You might recognise some of these from the Sustainability Leadership Manifesto in the recent episode. And here's the weird bit. When I started preparing for this episode, I reread Group Genius by Keith Sawyer, and I discovered that I'd completely forgotten that his research into effective collaboration was deeply informed by improvisational theatre. He writes, and I quote, How can 10 people go on stage and create such a complex and entertaining performance when they have absolutely no idea what's going to happen? This is the question I set out to answer. Armed with my video camera, I visited improv theatres all over Chicago. I ended up with a bookshelf full of videotapes. Then, back in the lab, I spent years analysing the dialogues to figure out how they unfolded second by second, and I gradually began to understand how surprising and radical creativity emerged from the power of collaboration. End quote. Maybe my decision to take an improv class wasn't as random as I thought. Goodbye for now. Keep up the good work and make sure to look after yourself.